Hello, EB Online Church family. As always, whether you're at home watching us or at the beach or in the car or somewhere here on our campus, wherever you may be, thank you so much for making us here at East Brainerd part of your day. Now, if you were with us a few months back, I told you that God's presence and God's peace, well, they go together just like peanut butter and jelly. And yes, during that lesson, I famously or infamously put the jelly covered knife into the peanut butter jar and it triggered so many of you and caused weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, after that, I found out that there are people who are very passionate about the type of peanut butter that should be used to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Now, I've always been a crunchy guy myself. But many of you inform me that you do not even touch a peanut butter and jelly sandwich unless it's made with smooth peanut butter. And I also heard from you Team Peter Pan people who were offended that I endorsed Team Jeff on the World Wide Web. The smoothies actually stopped following me on Facebook and Team Pan began protesting in front of my house. I mean, I never knew that talking about God's peace could be so chaotic. All right, so it didn't really get that bad. But would you really be surprised given today's climate of unrest if it actually had gotten out of hand? Life is being presented to us as a zero-sum proposition. We are told daily via social media and traditional news outlets that we must choose a side on issues ranging from racial equality to best health practices. We're being told to choose between presidential candidates and theological viewpoints. And each choice we make seems to invariably put us at odds with our neighbor or our roommates, our grandfather, or our small group, or our church leaders, or even a church down the street. Husbands and wives can't agree. Parents and children are arguing even more than usual. It seems everywhere we turn, we can feel the impact of the ruptures that seem to be cascading through our society. Now, a rupture happens when a sense of connection in a relationship is broken. And we all know what a rupture feels like. I feel emotions toward another that are more negative than positive. My words toward another are strained or heated. Instead of wanting to serve or help another, I am more likely to want that person to feel pain. And instead of giving someone the benefit of the doubt, well, I am more likely to interpret what the person does or says in a negative light. Ruptures draw lines and declare sides. It's smooth versus crunchy. It's black lives versus blue lives. Democrat versus Republican. Progressive versus traditional. Mask versus no mask. And the other person, well, they're no longer our spouse or our child, our parent, our, our friend, our coworker, our brother or sister in Christ. Ruptures cause us to see the person that's on the other side of the issue as the enemy. There's someone to defeat, someone to subdue, someone to overcome, someone to shame. There's someone to shun. This smooth versus crunchy scenario, it's unhealthy. And it leads to so many ungodly actions, even by those of us who should know better. The Apostle Paul once pulled back the curtain on a rupture that occurred between Peter and the Christians in Antioch. He wrote in his journal to the Galatians that when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised, Team Crunchy. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Team Smooth, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. 
He was afraid of criticism from, from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. And as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. You see, there was a group of religious people in Peter's day who believed that if you were not team smooth, well, we just can't be friends. You know, not much has changed in over 2,000 years. I can't worship with you if you don't believe like me. I can't eat with you if you don't vote like me. I can't frequent your business. I can't read your book. I can't listen to you speak at my graduation. I can't go to your school. Unless you do as I do and believe as I believe, well, we can't be friends. In fact, I would, be, I would like you a whole lot better if you were just more like me. Christians, please hear me. A person does not have to be your twin to be your brother or sister. Christians can disagree on how best to address racial inequity. Christians can disagree on who to vote for or whether to even vote at all. Christians can disagree on worship styles. Christians can disagree as how best to live during a pandemic. Christians can even disagree on crunchy or smooth peanut butter. But what Christians cannot disagree on is how we are to treat one another. On this, Scripture is clear. John writes, Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one. And you have heard it from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message that you have heard before. This is His commandment. We must believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Paul wrote to Christians in Thessalonica and said, I don't really need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, do I? For God Himself has taught you to love one another. To the Galatians, he said, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. And to Christians around Colossae, he said, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if you have any grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. He wrote, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Friends, we have been called to connect our lives to Jesus and demonstrate that connection in the love that we share with each other. Our differences, our disagreements, cannot overshadow our love. Now, every relationship experiences ruptures. We understand that, right? Every relationship has them from time to time. But our relational health is not measured by the amount of ruptures endured, but by our eagerness to repair the damage. So is there a way to move from rupture to repair? Is it really possible to have honest conflict and still remain connected in Christ? And the answer is absolutely yes. But first of all, we are all going to have to calm down. Now, I want everybody to go ahead and make a fist. I want you to make a fist with your hand because it's a good picture of your brain. Your fist and your fingers here, they represent the cerebral cortex. And that's the thinking part of your brain. It's responsible for helping you work the quadratic equation or learn a foreign language, access your Amazon account. And the thumb that's underneath, well, that represents your amygdala, and that's what some people call the lizard brain. It's the part of your brain that reacts instinctively to the surrounding environment. Now, when you're calm, 
that the cerebral cortex does most of the thinking for you. But when faced with stress or danger, the reactive portion of your brain takes over. So think Incredible Hulk. The rest of your brain gets hijacked and you are no longer able to think clearly. You simply respond. And oftentimes, all of our responses are not always God-honoring. Hulk, smash! I mean, that's how we act. It's why Scripture reminds us that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. The only solution is to stop and to switch to a setting where I can safely ride out the surge of adrenaline. Proverbs 29 and verse 11 says, Fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. After we pause long enough to put our thinking brain back in the driver's seat, we need to ask the question, why am I so angry? You see, anger is usually a secondary emotion. It is the result of an experience. If you get caught in a traffic jam on the way to a job interview that you desperately want to be on time for, and then you have a flat tire, you may think that you're angry, but underneath your anger is frustration. If you are awakened in the middle of the night by a large crashing sound and your wife tells you that you need to go downstairs because you're the man, well, you might get mad, but underneath your anger, there's fear. You know, if I don't sit back and consider the cause of my anger, then I will only end up dealing with the surface emotions. You know, over the last few weeks, I've heard from a lot of angry people. Angry because of injustice. Angry because of fear. People who are angry because of confusion. Angry because of loss. Angry because of resentment. Angry because of frustration. Angry because of helplessness. There's so much anger. And yet, there's been so little self-evaluation. So ask yourself, why do I get angry if someone chooses not to wear a mask during this pandemic? Why do I get angry if someone chooses to wear a Make America Great Again hat? Why do I get angry if a person doesn't put Black Lives Matter on their social media feed? Why do I get angry if the preacher talks about systemic racism? Why do I get angry if, if others don't respond to social issues like I do? Until we address why the events around us are driving us to anger, we will be unable to respond to our brothers and sisters in a God-honoring way. And let's be honest. Our churches have not always been the safest place for self-evaluation. Traditionally, we have steered clear of asking the hard questions. Much better to address issues that we can all agree on than, than tackle difficult subject matter that might potentially bring tension to our congregation and our individual souls. But friends, there are conversations that we must have. We must be willing to talk in our homes and in our churches about what we witness taking place in our communities. We must engage in conversations about race and sexuality and mental health and, and equality. We must have these conversations because God has something to say about these issues. I do not believe that God has left us without guidance or direction. But as the old adage goes, we must speak where the Bible speaks. And then... We need to shut our mouth where the Bible is silent. Now, when we do speak, we must proceed with caution. All too often, we put the least amount of thought into how we're going to start a conversation. 
We wait until we hit the boiling point and then we unleash a verbal tsunami that causes the entire conversation to go off the rails. Why can't you ever be on time? Are you really going to wear that? Well, you're just like your mother. You don't care about minorities, do you? You don't respect the flag. According to one study, 96% of the time it's possible to predict the outcome of a 15-minute conversation just based on what happens in the first three minutes. How you start is often how you finish. The Bible says in Proverbs 15:1 that a, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now soft here doesn't mean appeasing or weak. It means I'm mindful of my posture, my face, my, my voice, so that my response will open up communication and not shut it down. It means setting and preserving a tone to, to let you know that my goal is to deepen intimacy and not to damage it. If we start with defensiveness, criticism, and blame, then we're probably going to end up there. But if we start with grace and courage and honesty, then we will probably end up there. Finally, as we go about trying to repair ruptures in our relationships, we must be willing to yield. In a healthy relationship, yielding doesn't mean pretending to agree with another person when we really do not, nor does it mean always giving in and letting others have their way. It means slowing down long enough to recognize and acknowledge what the other person is experiencing in that conversation. I recently saw a meme on Facebook that said, you don't want to hear my opinion. You want to hear your opinion coming out of my mouth. How about we try living by Paul's advice to the Philippians? Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others also. You know, it really seems like each day we are being asked to choose sides. From the peanut butter that we buy to the causes that we champion. Now look, I'm not telling you that you can't have preferences. All I'm saying is that you cannot let your preferences rupture your relationships. I will never be a, a smooth peanut butter kind of guy, but I will still share a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with you. And we might disagree over public policy and the allocation of city budgets, but we can still join together and promote the welfare of all of our neighbors. You might express your praise and adoration to God differently than I do but we can still join together and encourage others to submit to Christ. In fact, Christ might be the only thing that we have in common. And that's enough. For we are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Friends, let's live like we're truly one, one in Christ. I don't care what peanut butter you eat, but I do care the way that you treat those that choose a different thing than you. Let's treat people the way God has already treated us. He has told us, I want you a part of my family. I love you even though you're different from me. Let's be one and let's change our communities for the better.